Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. We are talking everything from ethanol to farm policy, swine health, and a final preview of Commodity Classic here on today's AOA. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Glad you could uh, be with us for another conversation here about what is happening in agriculture in rural America on today's program. Coming up here on the show, we're going to recap the National Ethanol Conference and no doubt talk about the EPA decision on E15. Jackie Fatka, lead analyst for Farm Supply and Biofuels with CoBank. She's going to join us in segment three for a conversation. Before that, segment two, we're going to talk farm policy in D.C. and some of the priorities of the National Family Farm Coalition with Antonio Tovar from NFFC. Also, at the end of the show, going to get a final preview of Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas, with one of the co-chairs of this year's event, Brandon Honeycutt, is going to join us for a conversation. So all that more coming up here on today's AOA. Also, real quick, before we get to our first guest, want to welcome a brand new affiliate to the AOA family. We want to welcome Katie, Katie, 95.3, today's country in Clinton, Missouri. Thanks to them for adding AOA to their lineup, and uh, we're happy to be on with them. Another great affiliate for Agriculture of America. All right, our first guest here on the show, we are talking about a new collaboration between the Swine Health Information Center and the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research looking to study Japanese encephalitis virus. Joining us to tell us more, Associate Director for SHIC, Dr. Lisa Becton is with us here today on AOA. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Appreciate the time. Hope you're doing well. Ah, thank you for the invitation. And yeah, really excited about this new research collaboration. Well, let's talk about it a little bit. I know in the past I have talked with folks at Schick about JEV and its spread throughout the world. And it's uh, one of those emerging diseases that we definitely need to keep our eyes on and keep a close eye on it here, especially for our U.S. producers. So talk about this collaboration and some of the things that Schick and FFAR is looking for uh, with this collaboration and partnership. Sure. You know, this has been at least a year in the making just because Schick has been actively involved in both global monitoring for disease threats, as well as visiting with other veterinarians to try to understand outbreaks that occur in other places in the world. And so back in 2022, there was a new outbreak of Japanese encephalitis in Australia, and it was concerning because it was in a new region and spread relatively rapidly throughout the country. And so through Schick's global monitoring, we really looked at that as a current swine disease threat, an emerging threat of swine. And so wanted to really understand more what was going on, what are the different interventions we have, and how do we just get better prepared in the event this virus should hit our shores. Well, and thinking of JEV, maybe we should take a little step back as well for producers who may not be entirely aware of how JEV spreads. I believe it's through a bite from mosquitoes is one of the main pathways, isn't it? That's correct. Uh, JEV is a vector-borne disease, and what that means is it's spread by biting insects, and in this instance, the Culex mosquito. And so swine can be infected and are affected by the virus, but it can also infect humans and different water birds. And so it's something that we're really concerned about because of that zoonotic potential or that potential to infect both pigs and people. And so the clinical signs that you see after JEV infection really focus on breeding animals, so our sows and our boars, and you'll typically see reproductive failure, and that can be characterized by an increase in stillborns, in mummies, in baby pigs that are born weak, in addition to mortality in baby pigs. And that's on the female side, but we can also see impacts on the boar side by reduced fertility and direct impact on uh, development and production of sperm. So it can be a pretty damaging disease. 
Yeah, it could definitely can be a, a very impactful with our swine herds. And you know, back to the collaboration uh, between Schick and FFAR, I know you guys are, are doing your work, of course, to uh, look at JEV and ways to stop its spread. But, you know, part of this uh, collaboration is you're inviting qualified researchers uh, from outside your organizations as well to help look at JEV and, and bring forth some of their own research and funding some of that research. That's kind of what's at the heart of this collaboration, right, Lisa? That is correct. You know, we've had past experiences with Foundation for Food and Agriculture on our Wean to Harvest program. And the benefits of having this collaboration is ex expanding our reach, both with researchers that may or may not already work in the swine sphere, and then also having FAR have access to our production and producer resources. And so it's a great collaborative between our two organizations with joint funding. And so we're taking advantage of of the collective experience, expertise, and, and reach that both organizations have to help solicit proposals. And so I think this is really exciting time, and, and I think we're going to see really good response to this call. Well, I know deadlines are coming up as well for submission, and I know folks uh, need to submit their proposals by April 15th. That is the deadline for submissions. You can learn more online, swinehealth.org. Lisa, before we let you go, real quick, I know we're, of course, watching things like African swine fever around the world, PERS as well, some of these other infectious diseases in our swine herds. Do you have any other general updates for us, uh, things that we're watching right now? We do a lot of disease monitoring really to try to identify as rapidly as possible emerging disease threats in swine herds. And so part of that and part of Schick's mission to evaluate and, and understand these emerging threats, we do both domestic monitoring for, for domestic diseases of swine here in the U.S., but also global monitoring. And you had mentioned African swine fever. And through our global monitoring, we continue to see that ASF really is one of the predominant foreign animal diseases of swine that's really going through Europe in different fashions, both affecting commercial farms, but also affecting uh, feral swine, which makes its control very difficult. Um, but also on the domestic disease side, we have a couple of different reports that we monitor and once a week is our swine disease reporting system that looks at and reviews what are different domestic diseases of swine, such as PERS, mycoplasma, influenza, etc. And that's uh, once a month report, and then also looking at our monitoring report through the um, MSHIMP program at University of Minnesota, which also monitors domestic diseases, predominantly in swine herds. And so we've got two different things going on for domestics. But this time of year, PERS is active, um, and we are monitoring that of what activity is going on, both from a clinical case submission and just overall trends. So Unfortunately, PERS is still out there and still causing producers a lot of challenges. And so that's really important why we have to continue to monitor these things. Well, we will continue to watch the work that you guys do there with the Swine Health Information Center. And again, folks can learn more, swinehealth.org. And with that, Associate Director for Schick, Dr. Lisa Becton. Thanks for joining us on AOA today, Lisa. Really appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. And once again, learn more online, swinehealth.org. All right, coming up next, we're going to learn more about the National Family Farm Coalition, NFFC. Also, they recently had a fly-in in Washington, D.C. We're going to hear about that and talk about some of their farm bill priorities. We're going to have a conversation with their senior policy associate, Antonio Tovar. He joins us next on AOA. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting at homes across the country, and tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Information America's farmers and ranchers need, AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Joining us now on the program, he is with the National Family Farm Coalition. He's their senior policy associate. Antonio Tovar is with us here today on the program. Antonio, thanks so much for joining us here on AOA. Hope you're doing well. Ah, we are doing fine. Thank you, Jesse. And thank you to the audience to uh, let me uh, share with you this this. Uh, Short moments uh, on on the waves. Definitely. Well, we appreciate the time. We really do. Uh, just for starters, let's uh, talk about the National Family Farm Coalition and uh, give us maybe a quick overview of the organization and and what you guys do. Tell us a little bit more about NF NFFC. Sure. So we are a thirty seven years old organization, almost thirty eight, and and we. Well, we were born in the crisis of the 80s by different organizations, many of them on the on the on the Midwest. So we have right now 30 organizations. Uh, some of them are regional, some of them are just statewide, but we represent a lot of uh, of small farmers, um, organic farmers, grain producers, cattle uh, producers. So we have ranchers, farmers. And probably unique to NFFC is that we also represent fisher folk, which not usually is uh, is, is is stock on agriculture, but uh, we believe that there is a lot of share uh, issues regarding uh, lamp. Uh, food production and seafood production, a lot of consolidation, a lot of increase in costs and very uh, unfair uh, payment for your production. 
Well, I know just uh, here recently, I think last week, you guys had a uh, fly-in in Washington, D.C., talking to lawmakers about some of these issues and, and other issues that are big topics for uh, the National Family Farm Coalition in terms of a farm bill and more. Uh, can you uh, recap the fly-in for us and talk about some of the things that you uh, you guys talked with lawmakers about? Sure, sure. Uh, so we are based in D.C. and our work is basically federal policy. So um, because there, you know, the, the farm bill is such a, a, a big um, bill, no, the omnibus bill of the farm bill is huge. We concentrate in five topics. Uh, one is dairy, which is being something that historically NFFC has been covering because we have a lot of dairy producers. The other issue is land and farmland access, farmland concentration. Right now, there is a lot of investment on farmland and the price is super, is very high because that many people is investing in land and, and they are not farmers. So we are to pre we want to prevent uh, the the takeover of farmland from farmers. Uh, credit is another issue that has been uh, an a, a interest of of uh, of NFFC because there is there is a high price on credit. Uh, you know you need land, you need credit usually to do your operations. So we are trying to improve the uh, FSA uh, credit. Uh, on that regard, a uh, other issue we have is the ENCO, um, um, the, the the mandatory country of origin uh, label, not just in beef, which is I know a very a very important issue in the Midwest, but it's also uh, on pork and lamb and seafood. All these uh, products are be, being unfairly traded in the U.S. And they have the label like being produced in the U.S., but they are not. So we want to correct that issue. And finally, we are looking into improving the uh, personal exception for uh, meat because there is a lot of, especially after the, the COVID uh, a pandemic there was a lot of new well something that has used to be very normal to process your meat in your farm and now uh, a lot of people is doing it and and there's limitations that the USDA is uh, trying to impose in how you process your your meat so we want to improve that 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 part of the of of the regulations that are currently in the books and they are there. They have been there for more than a hundred years, so mm -hmm. they need to be improved. Well, looking at this overall all, overall farm bill conversation, Antonio, I know that it's one where we continue to see we continue to see concern if we're going to get a new five year farm bill done in twenty twenty four. We have the presidential election calendar in front of us. Of course, we had the one year extension of the eighteen farm bill. As you guys are watching this farm bill process continue, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, not only are some of these priorities you're talking about, but what are we going to maybe see in terms of getting a new five-year piece of legislation done? Is it something that could happen this year, or are we going to have to push the can down the road to 2025 potentially? What are you hearing in D.C. right now? Well, we have getting a lot of mixed mixed messages. Uh, and there is some uh, legislators that have a very uh, positive view that we will have a, a farm bill this year, and there's some others that are not as cheering on looking at having the farm bill uh, moving forward. I would say that right now the key time to see if a farm bill will be in place for this year will be between March and May. If between March and May we are we are not seeing things moving forward, then we are going to kick the can the can uh, down the road until 2025, which is very disheartening because this is a piece of legislation that is very needed. Uh, it is not just in terms of budget, because that 
that's for sure what we know. There is not going to be an increase in the amount of money that is going to be dedicated to the farm bill. It is more a discussion about where the money is going to be. So I think that everybody agree in, in terms of there is not going to be any increase uh, in terms of what is dedicated to the farm bill, but it's uh, where the money goes. Uh, but there is a lot of little issues that are not necessarily uh, costly or that they need some corrections, like uh, at least a couple of the bills, uh, a couple of the issues that I mentioned that don't require investment. It just need improvement on the regulations. But if there is no farm bill, there is not going to be a correction and, and many farmers are going to still... Um, struggling to 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 move their uh, their production to be more effective on what they are doing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very very true well and to some of those issues you mentioned you know and I, I think about some of these again like you know the farmland for farmers act or the fair credit for farmers act some of these things that like you said don't necessarily need f- funding but just need to be looked at and changes to regulation um, you know, one has to wonder how many of these things could make their way into a new five-year farm bill. How much, you know, can be attached to a new five-year farm bill in, in the current environment on Capitol Hill to get the legislation through? I think that's a, that's a big thing we're probably going to have to watch here throughout the uh, negotiations. Right, Antonio? That's correct. That's correct. And, and you know, you always need to also look at what are the interests that are opposing uh, bills like this uh, Farmland for Farmers Act? Because, uh, as I say, there is a lot of investment coming from Wall Street in terms of making the land a uh, product and not making uh, the production the product. So it is. It is. There is. There is. We knew from the beginning that there is going to be opposition into uh, moving forward. Uh, a law that prevent uh, the acquisition of farmland just for speculation. So that's something that we knew from the beginning, but it's something that if we don't have some way in terms of stopping the acquisition of land for speculation, the price of land is going to be just impossible for new farmers. So even current farmers to, to make a living. Well, Antonio, really appreciate the conversation. Before we run out of time, real quick, if folks want to learn more about the National Family Farm Coalition, I'm sure uh, going online, nffc.net, great place to start, isn't it? That's a very easy uh, way to to learn about the different uh, policies that we are moving forward. And nffc.net. That would be the the right way to go. You can also look at look at us uh, at social media. We are in all the platforms: Facebook, Twitter, or X now, and 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 other uh, platforms. So they can look at that. Look at us us there too. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate the time with that. Antonio Tovar with the National Family Farm Coalition. Thanks for joining us on AOA today, Antonio. We'll look forward to talking again in the future. Samewise, nice to talk to you. Well, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to recap the National Ethanol Conference. We'll no doubt talk about that E15 decision by EPA and more. Jackie Facka, lead analyst for Farm Supply and Biofuels with CoBank, joins us next on AOA. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. Main not be available in all states. For AOA, I'm Lori Boyer. 
Here's a check-in on what is going on in the markets here on this Friday, February 23rd. As we saw, corn and soybean prices both hit fresh three-year lows yesterday. At some point, one has to wonder when prices will be deemed too low to risk not taking advantage of them by end users with funds taking profits on their near-record large short positions. Cheap prices do create demand, and they are not doing so. But they have not yet done enough to force the funds to flip their positions. So until then... The trend will continue. In export sales news, corn export sales were near the low end of expectations, but 9.4 million bushels more than the weekly average needed to reach the USDA target of 2.1 billion bushels. Soybean sales were a marketing year low as the soybean export program begins to wind down. A large part of the cancellations was China moving 13.3 million bushels to the actual destination and several other countries doing the same in smaller amounts. Wheat sales were well below the low end of expectations, but 3.6 million bushels more than the weekly average needed to reach the USDA target of 725 million bushels. And Milo sales, well, they're just disappointing. Managed money has a record short and represents 20% of the open interest in corn. Managed money short in corn is 1.5 billion bushels. U.S. farmers are holding on to 8 billion bushels of old crop corn. On the ethanol side of things, the Energy Information Administration data is showing that ethanol output increased 1,000 barrels per day to 1.084 million barrels per day through the week that ended February 16th. Ethanol stocks were 308,000 barrels smaller to 25.5 million. The EPA has agreed to permit the sale of E15 gasoline for the entire year in some Midwestern states beginning in 2025. Traders are waiting to see what happens with the cattle on feed report here today. So far, livestock are trading higher. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Lori Boyer. You can't escape a traffic jam. Know what else you can't escape? Seasonal allergies. And you might think you can avoid that coffee stain until... Oh, really? You can't escape a lot of things in life. But you can escape prediabetes. Prediabetes captures one in three adults. There are usually no signs of prediabetes. In fact, most people don't even know they have it. But with early diagnosis, you can change the outcome and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. Take action by taking the one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. You might not be able to escape having this song stuck in your head. But you can escape prediabetes. Go to doihaveprediabetes.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Thanks for sticking with us here on AOA Today. Hey, reminder, coming up on Thursday, we will be at Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. Going to be broadcasting AOA Live with our friends at AGI, Ag Growth International, and their booth 3403 on the trade show floor. Looking forward to being there with AGI. We're going to learn more about some of their new bin technology. We're going to talk some education around grain bin safety and handling and much more. So, again, looking forward to that live broadcast of AOA on the Commodity Classic trade show floor Thursday in booth 3403 with AGI. And if you are going to be at Commodity Classic in Houston, hopefully you can swing by and say hello to us uh, while AOA is live that morning. So looking forward to it. All right. uh, Here this past week, the National Ethanol Conference happening in San Diego, California. Some different news coming out of that conference. Some news late in the week as well surrounding E15 and the approval uh, by EPA of those uh, Midwest Governor's Petition. Joining us now to talk about all of that and more, she is the new lead analyst for Farm Supply and Biofuels at CoBank. Jackie Fatka is with us here on AOA. Jackie, congrats on the new role at CoBank. It's uh, good to have you back on the program with us. You know, Jesse, it's always an honor and privilege to be able to talk with you and, and all those folks who listen in on to AOA. Well, we uh, we thank you for the time. I know you've been busy traveling all week, and uh, you spent time out at the National Ethanol Conference in San Diego. Let's just start uh, with a, a bit of a recap of how things went at the conference. I know I, I saw 
a lot of commentary coming out of that conference, a lot of conversation, plenty of excitement of where uh, ethanol and biofuels are going. What was some of the big takeaways uh, at this year's conference? You know, there is a lot of excitement about biofuels. Uh, you know, the ethanol industry has definitely had its ups and downs over the years. Uh, but, you know, they're really uh, a lot of good momentum right now and a lot of discussion about sustainable aviation fuels and how the ethanol industry can transition to that. Uh, a lot of uh, you mentioned some news this week about E15. Uh, Secretary Vilsack was on hand. Uh, talking about uh, the the fact that that announcement was coming. I think a little bit of a mixed bag because I, I do know that a lot of the ethanol folks had hoped that that would be a permanent uh, decision that could go into effect right away. What happened, you mentioned the petition from Midwest governors. They basically kicked that to being able to be fully implemented for 2025, and they're going to have to do waivers again this year. But, you know, as we continue to see headlines and continue to hear all of this push towards electrification, you know, an interesting stat that I heard for every 1 million new battery EVs sold you know, our, our typical E10 gasoline consumption drops by about 450 million gallons. So that's 45 million gallons of ethanol demand with it. So E15, as we start to see an increase in the E15, we're starting to basically hold the line. So as we see more electrical vehicles come online, we are allowing ourselves to pick up a little extra ethanol demand by those higher blends. So E15, E85, especially in, and, you know, we do have some of those E20, E30 mixed blend stations. So, you know, the ethanol industry is positioning itself pretty well to take advantage of that. You know, we saw in, Previous years, um, you know, I mentioned the 45 million gallons of ethanol demand that goes away as mm -hmm. we see these 1 million uh, EVs. But, you know, the summer months, we can see a couple hundred million gallons added to uh, the overall use of ethanol because of those higher blend inclusions. And so uh, the, that's important going forward. We're kind of crunching some numbers on that, too. But I think definitely good to see the E15 decision. Um, you know, I mentioned the sustainable aviation fuel, so much discussion about how farmers, I know you have a lot of farmer listeners, can help reduce their carbon intensity score. And, um, you know, taking advantage of some of the Inflation Reduction Act tax credits um, will require um, ethanol plants and what is delivered to the ethanol plant, the corn, to be able to have a lower CI score is what we call it, the carbon intensity score. Mm -hmm. So on farm ways to reduce carbon intensity, you know, we're talking about things that farmers are hearing more about, like cover crops, but we're also talking about tillage and how you reduce your inputs, you know, some interesting things with low ammonium fertilizer, the ability to calculate those in a way that, again, maybe brings a new revenue option to farmers to have a higher value for their corn, but also can uh, possibly add $2 um, a bushel even maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and and then also on the, uh, the ethanol plants, they are able to take advantage of, I mentioned the sustainable aviation fuel market, if they can get that carbon score, that carbon intensity score lower. Well, Jackie, uh, in terms of the E15 decision, I, I want to talk about that a little bit more because that kind of coming out here as the conference wrapped up, and I know uh, a, a lot of folks throughout the ethanol industry have called this maybe a double-edged sword. We've seen comments from uh, RFA's Jeff Cooper and uh, Brian Jennings with ACE, for instance, uh, Growth Energy. Emily Scores come out with her comments as well. And I know a lot of folks, you know, happy to see this decision, but also with it not being implemented in 2024, some uncertainty for the summer driving season in front of us. And I know, too, some folks you know, unhappy just with the fact that EPA took nearly two years to get to a decision on E15 sales in those eight states. So uh, your thoughts, what you're hearing uh, a little bit more here to end the week, just on uh, how some folks are kind of viewing this whole decision, like I said, kind of a double-edged sword to some degree? You know, I think the waivers have worked in past years and, you know, there's just frustration that EPA didn't do what I think everybody wanted them to do, which is to make this final for once and for all. You know, this has been in the EPA's regulatory system for a while now. You know, they were slow to act. The These governors have had to sue EPA to act. 
you know, and there's probably some concern if you drag this into next year. I mean, we all know there's an election year coming. Does that create headaches with regulatory implementation? Does that create different challenges? So I think some of those uh, worries are warranted. Uh, but on the flip side, we're pretty confident we're going to see those same waivers. So the waivers have worked fairly well the last couple of years. This is not a new system that we're going to operate under the waivers we've done for the last couple of years. And so there's experience with it. Um, you know, I think this does also add to the the desire to see a national legislative fix. And there's continued sure work on that. And, and, you know, Jeff Cooper mentioned this in his opening comments to the conference that they are growing support for E15. You know, the American Petroleum Institute is alongside of them and and really your bigger stand. uh, Those who are uh, standing against this are some of your East Coast refinery states and some of those representatives that represent those uh, those regions. Um, because there is growing support for possibly a legislative fix. So you wouldn't have to do something that EPA is doing to to provide the regulatory side of things. But you and I both know how hard it is to sometimes get a regulatory uh, thing over mm-hmm. uh, legislative uh, action over regulatory action. And so, um, but they're, they're, they're pushing on that as well. And I, I think there is still maybe on the realm of possibility, but. I'm not going to put too much money on that. Sure, sure. I know too, and I just thought about this, and I'm wondering if this was brought up in any conversations at the conference. I know there's there's some rumors out there as well, not only with this E15 decision, but some rumors about how sustainable aviation fuel tax credits could be developed here, some changes to tailpipe emission standards for light-duty vehicles as well. Was any of that talked about at the conference as well as we're maybe waiting on some decisions there from the Biden administration? Yeah, definitely. So a big one, you'd mentioned the tax credits and uh, coming up next week by update by uh, the Treasury Department supposed to update by March 1st, a revised model of their Argonne GREET model which would affect what qualifies for the tax credits. Um, And so I mentioned the CI scores. Ethanol producers are going to need to shave off 25 to 30 carbon intensity points before they can qualify for one tax credit called the 40B. And it's so funny, you know, you hear 40B and 45Z. uh, You know, I'm not talking about house numbers. I'm talking about tax credits. And (laughs) Um, but but that 40B and how they update the GREET model. The GREET model is what people want. It's a little different than a European one, which is which is good. But we're still waiting to see how they accommodate, like I mentioned, on-farm ways to reduce a corn CI actions, whether they, you know, account for indirect land use and and how they. Uh, allow for targeting uh, reductions and how they calculate that, because that'll make a big difference. You know, if cover crops only gets a, you know, a a plug-in reduction of four, but it really should be eight, you know, that can make a difference. And so we're watching on on that. That's coming next week. Um, And really how they kind of go forward on 40B tax qualifications, we really do expect for it to set the tone for the implementation of 45Z, which the 45Z clean fuel production credit is something that could offer a greater uh, opportunity for increased profits for ethanol folks, as well as corn producers. And that that 45Z is supposed to go into effect January 1, 2025. So we're expecting regulations, hopefully, before that. But we also know, too, sometimes these regulations come out and then they're 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 live instantly. Right. There's no time to prepare. So everybody's kind of scrambling on mm-hmm. on what the regulations are going to mean, how to qualify for those regulations. And then, you know, this could be a, a, a huge kind of profit opportunity to add a whole new value. Sure. And so you've got ethanol plants that are looking to sequester, uh, you know, a lot of discussion too this week on the pipeline there in Iowa and Minnesota and South Dakota, North Dakota and Nebraska, the the pipeline there, um, you know, what some are doing to capture it on their own, uh, own facilities and just great things. Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of things to think about. Jackie, always appreciate the time. Appreciate you joining us on AOA. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Jesse. Jackie Fack, a lead analyst for Farm Supply and Biofuels with CoBank, joining us here on AOA. Up next, we'll preview Commodity Classic here on AOA.
My name is Ariel. When I arrived in the U.S. at 19, I struggled to find job opportunities without my high school diploma. My entire life changed when I took a chance and got my high school diploma at age 22. Everything I have, my education, my career, my marriage, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and my teachers. They were with me every step of the way, helping with my English and math, making sure I pushed through all the challenges. Ariel, your success proves that what I'm doing as a teacher has real meaning. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. Education was the key that unlocked all my opportunities. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Farming is dangerous. There's dangers all around us. We work around it and we live around it every day. And we just become desensitized to what's around us. We go through safety training and, you know, we try and do these things to make sure accidents don't happen, but you just never know. There are so many farmers that I think take for granted all of the underground utilities that are there. You don't want to hit a gas pipe because that's your life. The other part of it is if you hit certain things, you're liable for it. I mean, we kind to know what's out here, but all at the same time, you, you just always call. Farm Safe 811 starts with you. Whether you're installing drain tile or doing any sort of digging, always call 811 and wait for any underground lines to be marked and have the depth confirmed. That's farming with care. But if a line does get damaged, go somewhere safe and call 911. Always keep safety in the back of your mind. Just stay humble. For more information, go to farmsafe811.org. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. It's National Grain Bin Safety Week. Today, we're talking with Laramie Sandquist, a risk management expert with Nationwide, about ways to stay safe around stored grain. Laramie, what are the primary risks working with stored grain? The primary risks are obviously the oxygen-deficient environment, the power equipment that you want to make sure is locked out and tagged out, and then getting to the root cause of why is this stuff not moving in the first place. Well, what safety precautions should everyone take around grain storage facilities? First and foremost, you know, we always say a zero entry mentality. If you don't have to go in, you shouldn't go in, don't go in, right? There are experts that are trained in how to do this. And if you do have an issue with the, with the condition of the grain and, and the vent itself, uh, you shouldn't go in those things in the first place. If for the reason you want to go in, obviously some of the steps we've already taken. Let's check the oxygen deficiency of that environment, make sure that there's no hazardous uh, oxygen in there. Uh, make sure that uh, you're locking and tagging out all of the powered equipment that are going on, making sure that you're not going in alone. Uh, make sure you have a spotter there, uh, someone that uh, you're in communication with at all times, and then obviously making sure that you have the right equipment to properly go into a bin itself. So anytime you're going into a, a, a hazardous confined space, you definitely need to have a plan in place, which includes having a spotter, which includes uh, talking with the authorities, meaning your local fire department. Well, what resources are available to help improve grain bin safety? You got grainbinsafetyweek.com. I'll say that again, grainbinsafetyweek.com has a lot of different resources from uh, white papers that are out there, from testimonials from people, from videos, uh, ways to work with grain safely. All of that stuff is out there. Thank you for joining us during National Grain Bin Safety Week at Around the Table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted car. 
informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, let's get a final preview of the 2024 Commodity Classic happening in Houston, Texas. Hard to believe that Commodity Classic time is already upon us, and there is a lot to talk about, a lot going on during the show. Joining us to tell us more about it, he's one of the co-chairs for this year's Commodity Classic. Brandon Honeycutt is with us here on AOA. Brandon, it's good to talk with you again Man, it's hard to believe that uh, it's already time for Commodity Classic. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. You know, it's, a, it's great that it we're right here upon us and looking forward to, the, to next week and being down in Houston. Well, I know that uh, one of the big uh, keynote general sessions, uh, we should talk about this to start on Friday, March 1st. It's going to be USDA Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack along with EPA Administrator Michael Regan. I have to think that is going to be a widely attended and a very important conversation on Friday morning uh, during Commodity Classic, right? It is. You know, we're really excited about the opportunity to have both of them on stage. You know, anybody who's been to Commodity Classic, you know, over the last number of years, we've been blessed with the Ag Secretary coming and presenting, and this year having Administrator Regan there will be just an added benefit. So, you know, with everything going on, most recently in the news around you know, we got we have dicamba going on, we have ethanol going on within the EPA. It'll be exciting an exciting uh, morning for that. Definitely, definitely. And again, that's going to be on Friday morning, uh, the general session there. I know, too, thinking of some of the other sessions, we got some great early riser sessions that happened throughout the week, Brandon. Um, I know we've talked about this before. The uh, FBI and cyber threat session on Saturday, for instance, is going to be a unique one. So there's a lot of education opportunities uh, coming up here in Houston for Commodity Classic, right? There are, you know, there that's one of the unique unique things about Commodity Classic is, you know, we do have these education sessions that are wide ranging. You know, if you want to learn about marketing this year, about cybersecurity, and everything in between, you know, there's something for everyone. I really encourage people to to attend the education sessions, and it's great to have the early risers. We know farmers like to get up early and and get get going at it, so that's why we have the early riser sessions available. Well, talk about this too. Sounds like pre-show registrations are doing very, very well for this year's event in Houston. So it's uh, it's looking like this show is going to be very well attended this year. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, we just found out this week that I think we've crossed the 10,000 uh, registrations for, for pre-registrations. You know, it's the first time that's ever happened. There's a lot of excitement around Houston. You know, obviously we've talked about it being a new new location and it's really exciting to see that even with the challenges going on in in farming that people want to come they want to learn they want to be around be around their fellow farmers and, and ask the questions they need to ask on the trade show floor and and among others as they're walking around well and i know too you brought up the trade show that is always a highlight i think it's a it's a great opportunity for farmers and ranchers to you know, see a lot of new products, new equipment, talk with folks uh, at the various companies they work with already, or maybe they want to work with. And I know as well, bringing the family along too, in many cases, there's a, there's just a lot of opportunity to really explore two levels of the trade show this year, right? Yeah, this year's that, that opportunity where we're busting at the scenes for trade show space. So we're actually going to be on two different levels. You know, there's a little bit for everyone, kind of like the, the learning sessions. But for those people, if you've got a question that, that you really want to get answered, this is a place to be. They're, they're bringing some of their top level, whether it's engineers, executives. If you've got a question, whether it's on equipment, whether it's on chemicals, on seed, or, or anything in between, you know, this is the place to be to go ask those questions, find those individuals, um, really, you know, not just kick the tires around on the new equipment, but really get your questions answered. Take the opportunity, get out there, and ask ask who you want to on the trade show floor. We're talking with Brandon Honeycutt, one of the co-chairs for this year's Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas. And Brandon, you know your perspective as well uh, as a farmer. You know, thinking about the trade show and a lot of those folks, experts, and more that are there. I feel like every year Commodity Classic, and this year will be no different. It's it's an opportunity as well for some farmers to maybe even get a little bit of business done while they are at the show talking with various folks, isn't it? It is. You know, it's one of those opportunities where if you want to 
talk to the people also to, you know, maybe looking at making a big purchase or, or trying to make that next decision, whether it's from a biological aspect or an irrigation aspect to equipment and seed. You know, there's a lot of business that gets done done at Commodity Classic. It's not just come, look, and see what we have and, and walk away. But we really want people to look at it that this is part of their business experience. This is part of the elevating their own farming operation, no matter what size they are, whether they're they're only farming, you know, 100 acres or if they're farming 25,000 acres. There's something here for everyone to get to get those questions answered, to get that business uh, accomplished. Well, I know folks can get more details, commodityclassic.com. They can get some last-minute registration done as well. Or I'm, I'm sure, too, if folks show up uh, in Houston next week, uh, last minute at the George R. Brown Convention Center, I'm sure they can register on-site more, can't they, Brandon? Yep, we always allow on-site registration. You know, there's there's the full the full pass, there's the day passage. You know, whatever people are able to to uh, fit into their time frame, we're trying to work through through that as well to make sure we have something for everyone and that they can be there to experience Commodity Classic. Well, again, commodityclassic.com for more information. Brandon, real quick before we run out of time, uh, what would you tell folks uh, to convince them to uh, join us for Commodity Classic in Houston? I think the biggest thing is that this is the trade show. This is the the event for everyone. You don't have to be an association member. You don't have to be a big farmer. You don't just have to raise corn and soybeans and wheat and sorghum. There is something there for everyone. Um, this is this is the opportunity to come and really see those next innovations that are out there in agriculture and have those questions answered. And, and we really encourage everyone to come. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Appreciate the time with uh, with us here on AOA today, and we'll see you at Commodity Classic. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll see you there. Brandon Honeycutt, one of the co-chairs for this year's Commodity Classic in Houston, Texas here this year. And again, commodityclassic.com for more information. And we'll be broadcasting AOA live on the trade show floor Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. with AGI in booth 3403. So looking forward to that as well. And with that, we're out of time here on today's AOA. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th.